We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 93 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys today. We're talking Carolina baseball getting swept in Columbia, Missouri, the NFL draft. As three different Gamecocks are picked, a couple others signed to free agent deals. We'll talk about that as well. Also, the Clemson scandal, if you will, the wiretaps. We'll talk about that situation. Ray Tanner's future is South Carolina AD. Also, some other news and notes and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver Troy Williamson. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. You guys hear me talk about them a lot. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. They're the only ticket buying app that I use for everything that I go to. They've got tickets to everything, whether it be NBA, NHL, college football, any college sports, pro sports, concerts, comedy club events. doesn't have to be sports. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything you need up. Go download the SeatGeek app. Use our promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to get $10 off of your first purchase. They've actually got a ticket rating system, which they rate the tickets for you. So you know if you're getting a really, really good deal, if you're kind of paying a little bit too much, you get to see what the market is paying for those tickets. It's really that simple. They really look out for you. Look out for the buyer, and I love those guys over at SeatGeek. So again, go download the SeatGeek app, use our promo code SPURSUP, and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. I want to say apologies for not coming to you guys late last week. To be completely honest with you, I was actually back home in North Augusta, South Carolina, working a golf tournament in the Aiken area, the Junior Invitational at Sage Valley Golf Club. So for those of you who might know what that is, took up a lot of my time really from Tuesday all the way to Saturday of this past week. And honestly, things got crazy. Also had to reschedule with our guest today, which is Troy Williamson. Um, very, very excited for you guys to hear that interview. Had a lot of good conversation with Troy about his time at South Carolina. Also time in the NFL, some really, really cool stuff with Lou Holtz, other things like that. But overall, I want to apologize for not coming to you guys last week. Again, not going, to, no, not going to be a common thing. It was one one week type thing where, like I said, I was just out of town and really didn't have my setup on me. So again, going to be coming to you guys Monday and Thursday of every single week. Um, starting with this week. So, again, apologies to you for that. Please forgive me. Um, all right, cool. Let's get right into it. Obviously, let's just kind of address the elephant in the room, which is South Carolina baseball. Gamecocks dropping the series at Missouri, getting swept 
in Columbia, Missouri, which is not something that I thought I'd be saying before this season started. South Carolina overall dropping to 24-20 and 20 overall in the season, 5-16 and 16 in conference play. And I think it is safe to say at this point that this season is completely a lost cause. Um, I don't have the SEC – I'm actually pulling it up now – the SEC overall baseball standings pulled up. South Carolina obviously fighting for their lives to make it to Hoover. We take a look right now. South Carolina, Kentucky, and Alabama are all tied at 5-16 and 16 for the worst records in SEC play. Alabama obviously holding the tiebreaker. So it looks like right now, if things ended today, it would be South Carolina and uh, <clears throat> South Carolina and Kentucky, excuse me, that would be left out of the SEC tournament, which I think has probably got to be the first time South Carolina's – actually, excuse me, they've missed it one other time since they joined the SEC in 1992. Um so, obviously, again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking baseball just because, you know, I don't think you guys really want to hear it because, again, it is beating a dead horse. It is going through the same things over and over again, the stuff I've talked about. But, again, South Carolina losing on Friday 5-2, to two, losing on Saturday 11 to nothing, which was a true just gut punch in the real sense of the word, and then losing on Sunday 9-7 to seven in a game that was called for seven innings due to weather. I mean, listen, this, this team has problems all over the place. You look at Friday and Saturday, South Carolina with eight hits combined in the first two games, 12 hits on the entire weekend. Um, Carolina getting one hit on Saturday. You know, I've given a lot of grief to the pitching. I've given a ton of grief to South Carolina's pitchers, to their pitching, what they're doing, what they're not doing. But I, I really think it's time to just fall on the hitters. I mean, there's just you – you're not going to win any series – getting 12 hits in a weekend. It's just never going to happen. I mean, I, I think this team at this point, listen, what I'd like to see moving forward, I'd really like to see Mark Kingston and this staff really kind of experiment and try things out for the 2020 season, play a lot of young guys. For example, I'd like to see Josiah Seitler start to play first base full-time. I'd like to see guys like Dylan Harley move back to the weekend rotation because, listen, this season's a lost cause at this point. I mean, I think Mark Kingston – I, I'm not sure what Mark Kingston, what his thoughts will be. Or what, I'm sure that he's not going to say that about the season. But this season's a lost cause. I mean, 5-16 and 16 again in the SEC. I don't care if you swept every series you have left. You're, you're not going to make the postseason. I mean, you've got – and you're not going to sweep every series you've got left. You probably – there's a decent chance South Carolina goes through this season not winning a series. I mean, really, you face Vanderbilt this weekend at Founders Park, which I think will be a good chance you get swept again. Um and you're at Mississippi State to close the season. In between that is Kentucky, which has turned into now a series to get out of the cellar in the SEC. Um, you know, overall, again, not being a dead horse, but South Carolina, it's just not there for them. Pitching, defense, hitting, it's just not there in all phases right now for South Carolina. And we, listen, we knew it was bad when South Carolina had 10 guys drafted and you had all the injuries of the pitching staff a couple of weeks ago. You know, we knew there were some issues, but – even with those issues, if you told me a month ago that South Carolina still wouldn't have won an SEC series, would have gotten swept in Columbia, Missouri, I wouldn't have believed you because there's still talent on this team. Um, I'm not one of these people that's jumping off the Mark Kingston bandwagon in any way. I still think Mark Kingston is the guy for the job. I think Mark Kingston, Scholar Mead, that staff, you know, they simply need to, need to recruit, need to get their guys in there. But I will say one thing that needs to be addressed really is um, – the hitting philosophy, because that's one thing that, listen, I talked about his first season, that the biggest thing you were going to notice the change in with this South Carolina team was philosophically. You're, maybe the stats wouldn't be there, but you're going to see a different approach. You're going to see guys are more confident to the plate, et cetera, et cetera. I think we saw that in year one. Um, 
obviously Mark Kingston has a certain type of approach and he needs to get his guys in there that can, that can handle it. Because right now they're asking things from guys that simply cannot get the job done for you. But my biggest thing is that I think they need to look at the, the approach philosophically, philosophically simply because if you don't have the guys that can do what you're asking, why are you asking, asking them to do it in the first place? Because obviously whatever South Carolina is asking their guys to do right now, they cannot handle. Um, you know, I thought Reed Morgan on Friday, I thought threw the ball well. You know, six innings pitch, eight hits, three runs, three earned, six strikeouts. That, that is a quality start in my book. Absolutely a quality start in my book. And really wouldn't have given up some of those runs if it wasn't for Gage Henson coming in and not recording it out. Um, he gave up two of the runs. I thought Reed Morgan pitched beautifully on Friday with a three, Reed Morgan now with a three and four overall record, which is obviously not um, indicative of how he's thrown this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really is. It's hard to fathom what is going on right now with the South Carolina baseball team. I mean, I, I you know, it's again, I, I did not think, you know, especially with the injuries that. You know, South Carolina, listen, you know, it was going to be a battle. It was going to be tough. But to see where the season's got, to see where the point it's at now, where it's not just bad. The season has gone beyond it's a struggle, they're rebuilding. It's embarrassing. It's flat-out embarrassing. I mean, you go up to Missouri, lose 11 to nothing in game two. 11 to nothing to Missouri, who's not some baseball powerhouse. And, listen, they're 29 and 15, 9 and 10 in the SEC. It's not like they're having some – crazy good year um well I guess now excuse me they're 30 and 15 and 10 and 10 in the SEC but again a team that came to this series 7 10 and 1 South Carolina was 5 and 13 so realistically if the Gamecocks win the series they have the same SEC record as Missouri um and South Carolina just takes you to the woodshed I mean it's just tough and I think right now the thing that stinks listen I've for those of you that listen to us long enough you know that I'm a former college athlete played college baseball at Newberry College and I can tell you, I know what it's like to be on a team like this because my freshman year at Newberry, Newberry I believe we went like 18 and 40, uh, missed out on the tournament, all that stuff. It's very similar to this. I can tell you from experience, from being in a locker room on a team that bad, it is very, very, very brutal. It, it, I mean, it really takes your toll. And I wonder, I mean, again, South Carolina overall in this season, um, no midweek game this week. You got three against Vanderbilt. Furman midweek, that's four games. Three against Kentucky, seven. USC Upstate in the midweek on May 14th, that's eight games. There's 11 games left in this season. I just am curious to see more than anything how South Carolina's team just simply attacks the rest of this season. Because, again, only 11 games left. But, you know, Saturday's game would give you the indication this team has completely just folded it in, just completely just closed up shop. Because, again, 11 to nothing, I I don't care – what injuries you have, what guys you lost from last year to go into Missouri and lose 11 to nothing against a team that, again, is not, is not a crazy powerhouse or anything. And to get one hit is just – it's tough. I mean, you look at today when they're announcing the starting lines for South Carolina, nobody in, is hitting 300 right now. South Carolina doesn't have a single 300 hitter in its lineup. And you're talking about a lineup with guys like T.J. Hopkins, Noah Campbell, Andrew Eister, Jacob Olson, Brady Allen, you know, a senior in Chris Cullen. I mean, guys that – you really, you know, Luke Berryhill, guys that you really expected to be there for you, and they just simply haven't. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to fathom. I mean, it's just really hard to fathom. Um, again, I still 100% believe 
that Mark Kingston's the guy. But I, I will say, looking forward, if, if you're a South Carolina fan, obviously, I think the biggest thing you can do is take your lumps and get ready and look ahead to 2020. But, I mean, the biggest thing that scares me about going into 2020 is that, listen, yeah, you're going to get arms back, and you're going to have to see who comes back. Hopefully a guy like Reed Morgan comes back for another year, and you're going to get Cam Tringali, Wesley Sweat, um, Dylan Harley, a lot of guys that have thrown – you're going to get back for next season. And Logan Chapman, Graham Lawson, Carvin Majinski will all come back for injury, which will boost you. But where is the offensive production going to come for this team? Because you lose T.J. Hopkins, you lose Jacob Olson, you you lose Chris Cullen. Noah Campbell has no clue who he is right now. I, I have no clue if Noah Campbell can hit above the Mendoza line at this point. Um, I think Andrew Eister is probably going to be your best hitter coming back. Luke Berryhill, if he if if he decides to come back, I mean, he is a guy that is draft eligible. You know, where's the production from this lineup going to come from in 2020? That, to me, is going to be the biggest question because I think pitching – I think this pitching staff will actually be pretty good next year, um, just looking ahead really quickly to 2020. But overall, obviously, again, South Carolina dropping to 24-20, and 5-16 and 16 in the SEC. And I'll be completely honest with you guys, even doing the Spurs Up show, because I speak for the fans. I speak for you guys, the fans, the – the, you know, the South Carolina fans, the diehards, the casual fans, all the fans. I'll be completely honest with you. This is getting almost unbearable to watch even for me. I mean, it's, it's hard to watch. It's truly, truly hard to watch. And, I mean, I'm not trying to dog them or anything, but, I mean, it, it is, it's tough to watch. It, it is just tough to watch. And at this point, you are expecting the worst to happen in every South Carolina game. Like today or excuse me, we're, this is dropping on Monday. So like yesterday, the Sunday game, Sawyer Bridges comes in, gives up a two-run homer. You almost saw that coming. South Carolina goes up 4 nothing in the top of the first. And my first thought and reaction when I put on social media was, will South Carolina find a way to blow this? And sure enough, they did, lose 9-7. to Just tough. I mean, it's very, very tough what South Carolina baseball is going through. I don't think there's any solution short-term. I think, again, if you're a South Carolina fan, you know, again, if you're a South Carolina fan, you've probably tuned out at this point anyways, I'll be completely honest. And I, I don't – and listen, I will say, I don't think that makes you a bad fan necessarily. Um, it's just hard to watch right now. So, you know, I, there's no solution. I think short-term South Carolina's just got to kind of – just kind of take its licks. At this point, I'd rather South Carolina not even make the SEC tournament. Just get this season over with as fast as possible. And that's, that's how those players feel in the locker room. I can almost guarantee you that. Because, I, like I said, I've been in a locker room – and that's how it feels. It's like, please just let this season end and let's get to next year. Let's just get this bad taste out of our mouth because there's just really not a whole lot to take from what's going on for South Carolina baseball. It's unfortunate. Um, all right, on a more positive note, let's move to the NFL draft. Gamecocks having three guys selected in the actual draft. A couple more signed free agent contracts. We'll start Debo Samuel selecting the second round, 36th pick by the San Francisco 49ers. Love the pick. Uh, love that he's going to San Francisco. I think he's going to be a good fit there in that offense. I expect Debo to have a really big rookie year in the NFL. Um, thought he could possibly be a first-round guy. We'll say I'm ecstatic. He did not go to New England, though. I, said, I know some people projected that, and I would have absolutely hated that pick. But Debo Samuel's second round, uh, 36th pick overall to San Francisco. You've got Rashad Fenton, sixth round, 201st pick to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I think that one surprised me a little bit. Just because I know Rashad Fenton had such a such a down final year at South Carolina, um, I know he's got the skill, he's got the ball skill, but a guy that really had a very strange final year at Carolina. But either way, sixth round, two hundred first pick by Kansas City. Uh, Dennis Daly, compensate. Let me see, see if I can say this word. 
compensatory pick. God, I feel like I'm butchering that. 212th pick overall by the Carolina Panthers, the hometown team, uh, at least for me, living in Charlotte. Very, very excited. I think Dennis Daly's a steal, honestly. I think he's a good addition for the Panthers, obviously protecting Cam Newton. Um, some guys signing for agent deals. The one that really was the head scratcher to me was Zach Bailey. I really thought he was worthy of a draft pick. But either way, signs a free agent deal with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Keyshawn Nixon signing a free agent deal with the Oakland Raiders. Blake Camper signing a free agent deal with the L.A. Chargers. And Bryson Allen Williams uh, is going to be attending rookie camp with the Oakland Raiders, something that uh, just dropped late Sunday. So very, very excited, obviously, for those Gamecock guys. Obviously, you've got to be very excited for Debo Samuel and what his prospects are in the NFL. I think a guy that, again, you know, as long as he can stay healthy, uh, going to San Francisco, I think he's going to be a good fit in that offense. I know they've got an offensive genius as their head coach or is regarded as one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. Uh, I'm very, very excited to see what Debo Samuel does. So, um, obviously, a very good draft for South Carolina. I, th- I know the SEC dominated the draft once again. Um, and overall, very, very good stuff for the Gamecocks. Um, Want to move into – a different subject, if you will. And listen, I don't like to talk Clemson on this podcast, but I feel like I have to do it because something huge that happened over the past week or so, uh, three days ago to be exact, was a a wiretap, if you will, in federal court, FBI video wiretaps uh, came out. One of the video wiretaps that came out included Clemson assistant basketball coach Steve Smith. Um, he was talking to Christian Dawkins, an undercover FBI agent, about the recruitment and potential payments to be made to Zion Williams' family. Again, this is coming from at Matt Norlander on Twitter. He's a senior writer for CBS Sports. Uh, these wiretaps were caught in July of 2017. Let's see. He says, Clemson football was also discussed via wiretap by Clemson basketball assistant coach Steve Smith like this. In relation to Zion Hoops recruitment, quote, that's why football is so successful, is if you do it and use resources at Clemson, like you can really keep everything tight, end quote. Um. Obviously, that created a lot of pe- a lot of a lot of conversation on social media. Another tweet from Matt Norlander: More on Clemson football via Steve Smith on wiretap. It's a small college, or quote: It's a small college town. You can come to a game one night after the game. You see a dude out there in a nice looking suit. You're like, wait a minute now. Blazer said, "Quote: I understood that to mean boosters would give certain things." End quote. Um, listen. And I want to start by saying that every school, most every school is paying college athletes in some way, shape, or form. But where there's smoke, there's fire. And now we've had multiple incidents where Clemson with the Osterine thing that was swept under the rug, and this as well. And I want to give you guys a spoiler alert. The NCAA is going to do nothing. The NCAA is going to do absolutely nothing because Clemson is the, is the poster child now. For, for college football after beating Alabama in the, in the national championship. And, you know, they're, they're one of the premier programs. So the NCAA, I'm not expecting to do anything, but overall just another piece in the saga that is, you know, Clemson and what they're doing. Because, listen, if you guys have seen Clemson's campus, you obviously know nobody's going there on their own will just to play college football in the, up in the middle of nowhere without some sort of incentive. Um, you know, again, I, I, it's a shame. The NCAA will do absolutely nothing. I think there's reasonable reason to believe that, you know, obviously that guy said what he said for whatever reason. I, I would love the NCAA to look into it, but overall I, I don't see anything coming of it. But I don't know. Is it just a matter of time for until this Clemson, the whole Clemson thing gets exposed? I don't know. We'll see. I, I would like to think so, obviously, as we're all South Carolina fans. But I just I, 
you know, I, I don't think anything will come of it. And, and it sucks because, again, you have the wiretap there. I mean, it's very, very interesting and intriguing exactly what is going on. Um, but overall, I don't think anything will come of it. But I just wanted to touch on it, kind of my feelings. It's just overall, again, I, it's a shame because Dabo Sweeney gets an extension making $9.3 million a year. He said some stuff before in the past. I'll go do something else because there's enough t- entitlement in this world as it is when he was asked about possibly paying players. Um, Clemson's president, Jim Clements, addressing the situation. The wiretap stuff comes out. Quote, I fully believe that this, the program has run as clean as it can be. Dabo has set a culture. I believe they do things the right way all the time. I, I just, again, it, it's going to get swept under the rug. It's a shame because I, I think there's where there's smoke, there's fire. If it was South Carolina, you'd have Clemson fans coming out of the woodworks trying to call out the program, call out what they're doing there. But overall, you know, it just kind of is what it is at this point. Um, I want to move into something else I saw on social media from our actually a good friend of ours, Gamecockology, talked about it. I want to kind of expand on it a little bit. Something that he said, I'm pulling it up now, said this four days ago. This is before the series against Missouri, so I'm sure it's even more applies now. He said, if I'm the athletic excuse me, if I'm the athletic department at South Carolina, I'm doing every everything to give Gamecock hoops the best chance of getting turning next year. There should be major shakeups behind the scenes of 2019-2020 is as poor as this academic year has been for the big three sports. Football has the toughest schedule we've ever had, and the baseball team is the worst we've had in decades. Basketball is where it's at right this moment. Again, that's at Gamecockology. If you, if you follow us, you definitely know who they are. Um, so, yeah, that, that kind of leads me to and has me thinking because a lot of you have been talking about Ray Tanner, sort of what his future is with South Carolina, and it sort of made me think about you know, the state of South Carolina athletics right now. And I think Gamecockology makes some great points. I think 2019 to 2020, the, that year for South Carolina athletic, academic, whatever you want to call it, year, I mean, it's going to be huge. I mean, listen, I'm not a big advocate on fire Ray Tanner because I think Ray Tanner, you know, is not the guy out there making the coaching calls in different situations, but he is the guy that hired these guys. He hired Will Muschamp. He hired Mark Kingston. And I think overall – this next season, this next year, if you will, is going to be huge for Ray Tanner's future. I just – because you really take a look at South Carolina's athletics programs right now. I mean, listen, and all due respect to these, these, these sports, but, you know, the things that South Carolina is good at right now, golf, lacrosse, hockey, which are club sports, lacrosse and hockey, um, you know, softball, women's basketball. And, again, it's no knock on those sports, but in the big three – we know the big three are the money makers: football, baseball, and basketball. Baseball is going through its worst season potentially ever. Basketball has missed the postseason again for the second straight year after the Final Four stuff. Second straight year missing the postseason. Football is, at least right now, again, this is going into 2019, but football is excruciatingly average and has lost to its biggest rivals for the past five, six years, plus a five-game losing streak to both Texas A&M and Kentucky. So I think this next – I agree with Gamecockology 100%. I think this next 2019 to 2020 athletic academic year is huge. I think it's huge. I mean, I just think that for the future of Ray Tanner, because, again, you're judged on wins and losses in this business, and I think overall, you know, these are guys that he's hired. I mean, again – in you know, I'm not saying these teams have to win championships. I'm not saying that, you know, it is all Ray Tanner's fault, but I certainly think there has to be some sort of improvement. Again, 
Football's got the toughest schedule it's arguably had ever. Baseball is going to be looking to bounce back after, again, a miserable season. And basketball is just going to be looking to, you know, show progress, get to the postseason, get to any postseason tournament. I just think because the South Carolina Athletics Department, listen, is not in a great place right now. I mean, just complete, being completely honest. I mean, again, I, I listed what's going on in the big three sports. It's, it's not – it's tough to be a Gamecock fan right now. Let's just be completely honest. And, again, fair or unfair, a lot of that is going to fall on Ray Tanner, especially from fans. Fans love to bring up Ray Tanner. I've noticed that on social media. Fans absolutely love to bring up Ray Tanner. So I think this next year is going to be really, really big for his future overall. Because, again, these are his guys. I mean, these are his coaches that he's hired. So, you know, it's going to be massive that they show some improvement, have some success, maybe win some games they shouldn't, um, and really prove him right that these hires, you know, were the right guys. Because, unfortunately, Ray Tanner's – tenure as AD, you know, really has not gone the way we all hoped it would. I mean, you could really argue that since he took over as AD, you know, where has the success been? I mean, besides the Final Four run in basketball and baseball, sort of piggybacking off his three straight national championship appearances, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot. Football has been just been kind of what it is. I mean, you know, uh, Steve Spurrier's last team in 2013, obviously with all that talent, was going to be good no matter who was the AD. But, you know, convincing Steve Spurrier to stay after 2014 when it was probably kind of apparent he should have hung it up, especially with the two to three more year comments and recruiting. Um, you know, going out and hiring Will Muschamp, which, again, I like Will Muschamp. I really do like Will Muschamp, but wasn't the sexiest hire at the time. So his – Rep, not just reputation, but his job is riding on these guys he's hired. And I just completely agree. That 2019-2020 year is going to be massive for just his future at South Carolina. And I hate it because, obviously, he's a legend. He's a guy that led South Carolina to two national championships in baseball. But overall, I mean, South Carolina's got to really look at itself in the mirror and say what's going to be best for us. There needs to be a bounce-back year, not just from one team on campus, really, not just from one team. As an entire athletics department, there needs to be a bounce back in a major, major, major way because, again, I'm just saying what I think everybody else is thinking. It is tough to be a South Carolina fan right now. It is very, very tough to follow along and see what's going on. And, you know, I mean, I feel like every sport I've talked about, it's always the same story. Youth, youth, inexperience, and injuries. That's the same thing for every sport. There needs to be a bounce back in some major way or Ray Tanner's job will most likely be on the line. Um, some other news and notes really quick, South Carolina lacrosse. I do want to mention them. They win the SELC. Very, very happy for those guys. Obviously want to mention them. Um, overall also Gamecocks men's golf, not getting it done in the SEC tournament, but they are a team that's going to be making it to the NCAA regional. So very, very excited about that. South Carolina with a very, very good golf team overall. So very excited. Um, let's get into some listener questions. Only have a couple. Again, I do apologize. Got the, uh, Got the questions out late, or I guess early Sunday morning, but a little bit late for you guys. I know should have got those out Saturday. Overall, again, been crazy busy, like I mentioned. But we do have a couple of listener questions I want to get to really quickly. J.K. Gill thirty four says, "I still have eligibility. Can I pitch for us? Can't be much worse." Um, <laughs> I don't know. You have to talk to Mark Kingston. But overall, again, I, I think I've given a lot of grief to the South Carolina pitching, and rightfully so. I mean, definitely that they deserve as much blame as anyone, but. 
you've really just got to look at this lineup at some point and say, how has it not been a, been a chance where South Carolina is able – I mean, you look at the run support that Reed Morgan is getting. I mean, listen, I, I don't have all of his starts pulled up, but at South Carolina, I, I'm not sure they've scored five or more runs in a game he's pitched. And, I mean, it's – I know you're going up against big-time arms on Fridays, but at some point, don't you feel like you'd be due for – an offensive explosion of some kind, if you will. I, I mean, to me, you would think that's bound to happen. It just hasn't been there for South Carolina. This lineup, again, hitting below 200 in SEC play. I mean, you just there's only so much your pitching can do. So, again, I think it is uh, – the blame can certainly go around. You can certainly put it on pitching. But, again, I've been pretty tough on the pitching. I think hitting shares just as much, if not more, the blame for the struggles of the South Carolina team this year. Um. Let's see, L. Graham, 107.5. Do you think Jake Bentley will become a sub-quarterback this year? Um, I think you're asking, will he, he become like a the backup quarterback? Which, I know this is a popular question. I think 100% Jake Bentley is your starting quarterback going into game one. I don't think there's any debate on that. No, I do believe, you know, I, I do believe the leash will be much, much shorter just simply because, listen, you've got Ryan Linsky. You've got a guy back there that can push him. You've got to carry on Joyner. Heck, um, so I think the leash will be shorter. I think if we see a situation like Jake Bentley, the way he played last year against Kentucky and the little stretch he had there, I, I think they'll be willing to pull the trigger quicker. However, I, you know, you never know. So, um, you know, you, you'd think Jake Bentley coming back as a senior, you'd expect him to play well. He's on pace to break a ton of records, which is crazy. But overall, I, you know, you, you just kind of have to wait and see with Jake Bentley. But I, I think they will be quicker to pull pull the trigger. But – Unless he gets injured, I don't see a situation in which Jake Bentley is not your starting quarterback to start the 2019 season and all throughout, honestly. I, I don't see a situation where he relinquishes that starting job in his senior year. So, overall, that's going to do it for the listener questions. Again, we got a fantastic interview coming up here with former Gamecocks wide receiver Troy Williamson. Troy's a great dude. Talked a lot about his South Carolina career, NFL career, relationship with Lou Holtz, playing with the likes of Sidney Rice, Savelle Newton, Dondrell Pinkins even Kenny Irons as well, Demetrius Summers, all that and more. The interview is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Again, you hear me talking about it a lot, SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. Please be sure to go download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. Like I mentioned before, they have tickets to literally anything and everything. So listen, it doesn't have to be any South Carolina Gamecocks events. It doesn't have to be college events. It can be pro. It can be concerts, comedy club events golf tournaments, literally anything you're going to and you need a ticket to, be sure to check with SeatGeek first. And if you haven't done so, go download the app, SeatGeek app, use the promo code SPURSUP, and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver Troy Williamson. All right, joining me today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for South Carolina football from 2002 to 2004, was named first team All-SEC in 2004 by the AP and was a first-round selection, the seventh overall pick in the 2005 NFL draft by the Minnesota Vikings. He had a brief NFL career as well from 2005 to 2009 with both the Minnesota Vikings and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I want to welcome to the show former Gamecocks wide receiver Troy Williamson. Troy, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Oh, no problem at all. No problem at all. Absolutely. So let's get right into it. Kind of go back to your high school days. Obviously, you were a standout wide receiver at Silver Bluff. Um, enrolled in South Carolina in 2002. But just kind of talk about your recruitment overall, the schools that were coming after you, and eventually what made you want to be a Gamecock. Uh, well, you know, you had your Georgia, your Clemson, uh, Florida, everybody up and down the East Coast pretty much. Uh, 
And what, what made me want to go to Carolina because and not Clemson or Georgia, I want to go somewhere where I can play early. And that was the best opportunity for me. And it was close to home. So my family would be able to see me uh, and I can come home when I wanted to. So it was, uh, that, that's the reason why. Absolutely. So, you know, your freshman year, obviously you're coming in again, 2002 was your first season. South Carolina's coming off mm-hmm. back-to-back Outback Bowl championships after going through a one in 21 type streak. Uh, I'll ask you, what was sort of kind of the vibe around the South Carolina program when you got there? Because again, Lou Holtz had just been hired, uh, I guess, literally three years before or so in South Carolina, again, getting over that, that long losing streak, winning back-to-back Outback Bowls. I, I imagine South Carolina had to be really riding a, uh, riding a high as a, uh, as a program when you got there. I mean, yeah, they were. You know, you had, you had your, t- your typical Lou Holtz, a guy that's, uh, you know, hard-nosed, uh, a tough, small guy, uh, what I would call it. I mean, but the program was – I believe it was on the up and up. And if we could have got, you know, a few more pieces and some other things, that we, it could have been a lot better than than, uh, than it was, though. But it was a, it was, it was a great program. I, I love everything about uh, USC, West South Carolina. No doubt. So, like I mentioned, you played for the legendary Lou Holtz, obviously a Hall of Famer, legendary South Carolina coach as well. Talk about just kind of um, not just your relationship while you were at South Carolina, but your current relationship with uh, with your former head coach. Well, uh, I haven't talked to Coach Holtz. It's been a minute, uh, a good little while. But, I mean, even when I was in uh, at USC, we had, he had a high level of respect for me. Uh, we had an incident, I remember, that, that I kind of stood up for my uh, friend Kenny Irons at the time. Uh, we had Demetrius Summers was coming in. And I was the one that kind of stood up for Kenny. Kenny worked hard. I believe that he should have been the number one back at the time. And Coach Holtz kind of called me out on it. Uh, everybody felt that way, but I'm the only one that pretty much stood up. But after that moment, uh, he kind of held me to a higher respect. Uh, and I, I appreciate everything that he that he done for me uh, up to this point, even at this point. Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny, you bring up a really good point about the Kenny Irons thing. I'll ask you simply because, you know, you guys were teammates and everything. I know that he transferred, went to Auburn and – Really, the rest is history. I mean, he really did his thing at Auburn and balled right. out. What was kind of the situation behind that? Because I know through the grapevine, through just, you know, different fan circles, I've heard things like Demetrius Summers was kind of promised the number one position when he came in in 2003. I mean, is there is there any validity to that, would you say? Or, like, what was kind of the situation behind that? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking that's, that's kind of what it was, that he was promised to, you know, to start. Uh, and Kenny kind of got the short end of the stick. Uh, so, and then – what happened was that I, I believe that Kenny working hard is it wasn't nothing that he could do uh, to play, uh, and Demetrius already had the spot lined up. Absolutely. So your freshman season, pretty solid. Seventeen catches, four hundred ninety-one yards, um, four touchdowns. You actually averaged twenty-eight point nine yards a catch, which I think really kind of. Uh, almost kind of summarize your career up. You're obviously a really big play guy, but talk about just kind of what led to you having so much success, you know, because some guys come in as freshmen and sort of, you know, obviously the game gets quicker. It's a different level of football, especially when you're going to the SEC. But what do you think was uh, your biggest – or what what was most important you having success so early on in your South Carolina career? I mean, just wanting to be competitive and always uh, wanted to play hard and, you know, just be that football player. I always wanted to be the guy – to get the ball, and I, I just wanted that opportunity. Once I got that opportunity, I, I said nobody else was going to you know, be able to take that away from me, and it worked out well. Uh, just being one to go compete and be that guy, that, that's what uh, kind of drove me through, through, uh, through college. Who would you say was the toughest defensive back you faced while you were, uh, while you were in college? I mean, you had uh, Miller from Clemson at the time. Uh, 
But that's that's pretty much the one that that stood out. Uh, I forgot I forget his first name, but Miller. Uh, and so you had Ty Hill, another guy that that I, that I played against with the Clemson also. Uh, so some of those guys. For sure. So. You know, throughout your South Carolina career, obviously you played a ton of games at Williams-Brice Stadium. Were, were there any that stuck out to you as maybe your most memorable games uh, in Columbia while you were at South Carolina? It's always the you know, Virginia game, the 99-yard touchdown. Uh, Georgia, my my junior year, being able to rack up a lot of yards, and we, uh, we were so close to coming out with a win of that game. Those two games are the ones that really stick, stick out to me as far as highlight moments. I think the Georgia game kind of put me on the scene for the NFL. Yeah, definitely. I was going to, you know, I'm glad you bring it up. The uh, the 99-yard touchdown against Virginia, obviously you guys, you guys waxed those guys that day. I think the final was 31-7, to but that's obviously a play that is still lived on in infamy because I think it's still the longest scoring play uh, from scrimmage in South Carolina history. Just talk about, you know, kind of because, you know, you're down there on the one-yard line. Obviously you're trying to first off avoid disaster from getting the safety or whatever, but uh, – was it a play where I'm sure as soon as you caught it, you kind of saw the defense and knew you were gone, but was it a play when you lined up, you thought you had a chance to take it to the house or just kind of walk me through that play in general? Well, I know for me, uh, it, it was supposed to be a run play. And what happened was coach uh, holds changed to play at the last minute and I'm calling it slant. And I know just as soon as I caught it in a, um, uh, seen the corner and the safety's coming, I knew that I could split them and be able to take it to the, uh, take it to the house. The guy could have still stood up, stayed up, and I probably still would have took it to the house either way. <laughs> Absolutely. No, and that was, like you said, that was a very, very memorable game as well. Have you ever seen a guy get hit as yeah. hard as the uh, the guy that uh, Corey Boyd laid out in that game? Oh, I still haven't I still haven't <laughs> seen nobody get hit as hard as that. Still haven't. And, I, you know, being able to play in the pros, I still haven't seen nobody get hit that hard. Absolutely. So you mentioned 2004 South Carolina, Georgia. I remember that one very, very vividly as well. You guys were up 16 nothing. But I want to talk about uh, mm-hmm. the play that you were talking about, the long touchdown that you have where you dove in the end zone. Um, and I want to talk about just talk, walk me through kind of that play. It's a great play by you to spin out of the tackle, get to the end zone. And then you dive in and get the unsportsmanlike conduct. I'll never forget you running the sideline <laughs> and Coach Holt's kind of getting into you. What, what's, uh, what, what was he saying to you on the sideline? It was just really about, you know, just be smart. It's a big game. You don't want to do nothing that's going to pretty much take us out of it. So, you know, the, the point, that's the point is pretty much a gimme. So don't, you know, don't mess up that opportunity. If we end up losing by one point, it'll be because of that. So just pretty much just stay focused, you know, and don't do nothing that's going to mess up the game for us. Yeah, I'm sure there were some explicitives thrown in there as well. If, 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 uh, yeah, if you know, you, you know that, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So again, that two thousand four yes, that two thousand four season again was very very good for you. Um, overall, your best mm-hmm. year definitely forty three catches, eight hundred thirty five yards, seven touchdowns on the year. And like you said, I I certainly think that it was uh, it made a big time impact as far as where you went in the NFL draft. Again, being picked seventh mm-hmm. overall. Um, you know, when I talk about some of the games in that season in general, obviously you mentioned the Georgia game was big, but. One of the ones that I thought stood out to me was at Alabama. You guys go into Tuscaloosa, and it's funny. You think of what Alabama is now, but you guys go into Tuscaloosa back then in 2004, beat those guys 20-3. to I mean, how cool was mm-hmm. it to be able to go into a place like Tuscaloosa where there's so much tradition? You guys, I don't think, had ever beaten them. Or, excuse me, yeah, did beat them in 2001, but never won in Tuscaloosa and be able to go in there and not just win but dominate. I mean, it's always good, especially when you uh, a away team, to be able to go in and dominate and play some good football and run the ball the way we do, we did it. Because I don't think I even had to catch that game, I don't think. I think we was running the ball so good that we didn't really have to throw it that much. 
So, but it was it was always great to be able to go into somebody else's house and whip their behind and leave. It's always, it was always great to be able to do that. Absolutely. So, one of the things I want to touch on from the Georgia game, kind of going backwards, that you talked that uh, I actually yeah. heard before is that Sidney Rice, who was mm-hmm. you know, obviously South Carolina's go-to guy in two thousand five, two thousand six. Um, I believe in that game broke his ankle or something, got hurt in pregame warm-ups and had to redshirt that 2004 season. Otherwise, he mm-hmm. played in 2004. How how good of a wide receiver tandem would it have been having both mm-hmm. you and Sidney on the field at the same time? Because we obviously know what he did in his, in his college career and then professional career as well. Yeah, he – man, he was something else, man. I mean, I, I, I always wanted and wished that we could have played together, man. It, would, it probably would have go down as the best duo. Uh, at South Carolina, if we had the opportunity to play. Yeah, no, I, I just thinking the same thing. Who uh, I'm sure you guys went uh, did a lot of competing in practice because I know with two guys as competitive as you guys are and as good as you guys were uh, and still are. I mean, I have to imagine those practices got pretty fiery as far as who was uh, getting the bulk of the catches, who was kind of the number one guy. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, that's that's what you want though. You want to be to have somebody to be able to push you, and that that's what makes you better. Especially a guy like Sidney. I mean, Sidney was a, a amazing athlete from basketball. Played basketball. I mean, so he was a, he was a guy that pushed me and wanted me to step my level, step my game up a little bit. So I mean, it was always great to be able to compete with a guy like that. No doubt. Did, did you have any sort of you know? I know superstition is more so I think for baseball. But did you have any certain maybe pregame routines or anything you did as a wide receiver? Because I, I imagine wide receivers are you know, really like any other position where it's it's really all mental as far as just catching the football, you know, being in your mm-hmm. game, in your zone. Was there anything in particular you did to prepare to get ready to play your best? Nope, not really. I mean, I just put my pads on the same way. But nothing that I really did that uh, that stood out that I had to do every game. Uh, I'm not really a, a superstitious guy. So, I mean, it's, it was just put your pads on, let's go play. Absolutely. No, I love that. So 2002, 2003, obviously your first two seasons, you guys were mm-hmm. uh, missed bowl eligibility. And that was something, again, I talked about South Carolina was coming off back-to-back outback bowls. Um, 2004, you guys get the win over Arkansas. And again, another game I remember very, very vividly, you guys win 35-32. You had the mm-hmm. go-ahead touchdown. Coach Simpson has the pick to seal it. Um, going back to your touchdown, just how you know, what was – kind of walk me through again. What was the uh, what was the play call there? Because I remember specifically, I mean, it was just kind of a like a little hitch where they basically just putting the ball in your hands and letting you make a play. You spin off of a tackle and score the touchdown. Just kind of walk me through uh, – walk, walk me through that play in general. Yeah, I think I had a, a go route uh, from, the, from the jump. But what happened was the corner blitz. And when the corner blitz, I just come off the ball and kind of just settles. And then it's just me and the safety one-on-one. And to be able to make a play, to spin off a guy and, and score, you know, to go ahead touchdown was a was a big deal. That was a big game, and uh, we, we kind of we needed that to be bowl el- eligible. So, but even though it didn't work out because uh, of the Clemson game, but it was it was a, a, a corner blitz. Uh, Savelle made a great read, threw me the ball, and it was just me and the safety one on one. So just make a play. No doubt. So you just mentioned Savelle Newton, your former teammate. I wanted to definitely ask you about obviously your career. Um, you already mentioned you're a guy that just put the pads on in place. So I don't think it probably affected you. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, did it ever affect you with the the quarterback carousel, if you will? Because I know while you were there, I mean, you had a ton of different guys throwing you the football, and Corey Jenkins, Dondrell Pinkins, Savelle Newton. Did that ever affect the way you approached the game or approached what you were trying to do that day, or was it something where you had to get familiar and comfortable with each guy? 
No, I mean, because those guys pick it up. I mean, they just throw it deep. Throw it deep or give me something that I can make a play with it. But they, they pretty much adjusted pretty much, you know, to me. And uh, and they, they did an awesome job of getting me the ball. Uh, and Coach Holtz always told me, Terrell, I'm going to give you five or six opportunities a game to make a play. And then that's all I needed was those opportunities to make a play. But they uh, – they did. They, they did a great job of just getting me the ball. It really wasn't no adjusting at all. Absolutely. So you're talking about what you know. Just bringing up the big plays you made. I forgot to mention at Kentucky that year. Uh, you guys win twelve to seven. I think I believe, believe it was Mike Ray throws you the game winning touchdown. Um, In the back of the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. Back corner, of the back of the end zone. There. Just just talk about what I mean. With you, were you always just kind of the big play guy? Was that because I mean, I talked about what you averaged per catch. I mean, you're literally looking at your career 19.3 yards per catch. So you were, I mean, you were a big play type of guy. Where, where do you think that came from? Was it just, uh, is that how you were used all throughout your career? Kind of what do you think made you so good at being so clutch and making those big plays? I mean, just want to be in the moment, want to be that guy to make the play. So, I mean, the moment was never really too big. It was just like any other play, even if it's fourth and one or fourth and 20, and we needed to score, uh, just give me the ball. Just give me the opportunity to catch it, and I'm going to be there for you. That's how I looked at it. Absolutely. I definitely would say that showed on the field for sure. Um, you yeah. mentioned, obviously, you guys get bowl eligible. The game at Clemson happens. The brawl, I got to ask you about it. I mean, just simply <laughs> put, what do you remember from the brawl in general? Because we've had some other guys like Savelle Newton, your former teammate on here, and he's gave it his recollections of it, but what do you remember specifically from the brawl? Uh, just everybody going at it. I mean, it was something that I knew for, for me for sure that uh, it was something I, I – it made the program look a, a lot worse, you know, when things like that happened. And obviously took a bowl game from us. So I remember talking to Coach Stockstill at the time, and this was my decision uh, around my time, but, you know, the, the leave. And it's crazy because every team that I visited – uh, during my draft process, talks about that that moment, and they were looking for me to be in there. Am, am I that type of guy? So that that kind of stuff reflects on our program and and, and different things. But talking to Coach Stockstill, even when the brawl was going on, about me being able to leave school, and uh and how you know I didn't want to be a part of that because of that reason, and it, it put a ding on my character. Uh, so but it, it was a it was something that I, I wished didn't happen. So I've been able to play in that bowl game, but you know it is what it is. And you weren't really even involved in it, correct? I mean, was it something more guilty? I, I wasn't because yeah, because I remember specifically. I, I don't remember ever seeing you like in the the middle of the scrum or anything. No, because I the thing about it, it was it was I, was defense on the field. You know, it was offense. To, I, I remember Savell threw it I across the middle of Michael Thomas, and it was a fourth down play. And then I think somebody shoved him. Yeah, somebody stepped on him, and right. that kind of got out of control. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, them games always, they kind of chippy anyway, especially playing Clemson. So, I mean, I, and, and some stuff like that was happening through the whole game anyway. So, and then it got boiled over into that. So, but I wasn't even in the middle of it. Uh, and everything happened, like, so fast. Absolutely. So, obviously, again, the decision to leave was a very easy one mm -hmm. when you're the seventh overall pick in the NFL draft. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. But – after that game happened, you get the bowl game taken away. I mean, was there any consideration of, I don't want to end my career like this? I mean, I know you have to look at, out for yourself on the personal level 100%, but, I mean, mm -hmm. I, had to, I have to imagine all you could have wished for was to get one more chance to go out in the field and garnet black, especially when the last game was, you know, ended the way it did. 
Right. And I mean, I know for me, because I talk to my mom, I talk to my godfather, uh, my pastor, some people that I, I that's close to me, and we just talked about the decision, uh, especially when we end up losing the, the opportunity to play in the bowl game, that it was time, uh, you know, for me to make that decision to leave. So, I mean, I think it was a great decision, obviously, being able to be picked seventh overall, but it uh, it was it was just, and even talking to Coach Sperry, because first Coach Sperry told me I can go, he told me, if I come back, I, instead of being, you know, a first-round pick, I can be the number one pick overall. And uh, even with even with that said, I, I knew it was time for me to uh, to go ahead and step out and leave. Wow. Yeah, no, that's funny. I, I was going to ask you just kind of, yeah, I know, you know, Steve Spurrier was hired, you know, right after that. Obviously, there were a lot of rumors going into that Clemson game about Lou Holtz possibly stepping down, Steve Spurrier possibly getting the job. Um do you think that had – I mean, did that affect the team in any way? I mean, I, I wouldn't think it would, but did you guys hear those rumors a lot? I mean, did it affect you guys at all? See, I think we heard the rumors of, you know, Coach leaving, uh, but it really didn't uh, – we didn't know who was going to get the job until everything happened after the after the uh, Clemson game. Coach O told us that he was stepping down and they had a, uh, Coach Spurrier coming in. I think that's when I found out that it was going to be Coach Spurrier coming in. Absolutely. So you said you talked to Coach Spurrier briefly, obviously about you leaving, but mm-hmm. were there any other conversations with him? Was it just kind of about your future or what, what were the, uh, you know, what were those conversations like with him? I mean, we, we just had a conversation about me staying and the opportunity that I, that he'll give me. And, you know, he's, he was, he's a great offensive mind guy to be able and he coached some great receivers. So, and I, I had to weigh all that in, in, in uh, my decision on leaving or not. But it was it was just it was time to to step out. Even though I would have loved playing in that offense, it was it was time to step out and go to the next uh, next stage in life. Absolutely, and like I said, you were the seventh overall pick in the 2005 NFL Draft for the Minnesota mm-hmm. Vikings. Um, you know, I know a, a humble kid coming from Silver Bluff High School, coming from around the Aiken, South Carolina area. I mean, just talk about that day. You get taken seventh overall. I mean, what what did that mean to you? How how cool was that? I mean, you just think about all the stuff of, you know, where I grew up at, how, how I came, uh, everything I had to go through just to get to that point. And, and everybody, when they Google my name, they see the picture of me crying out, and I explained to them that it's just all the, you know, me being burned twice. I got burned twice when I was a young kid. Had to learn how to walk again. I, th- I thought about all that stuff, and all of it ca- all it came up at that one time on draft day. But it was a great experience. Right? I, I, I could never – would never – uh put that uh make another decision as far as when it comes to leaving school and being able to be drafted that high because that's uh very rare that you see something like that and for it to happen to me absolutely and i know probably i just funny because the nfl draft just happened i'm sure whenever you you know see that on tv it's something where you kind of think back to yourself and uh you know get emotional mm-hmm. ask you though would you ever rock some of the suits these guys are wearing now with like the half jacket thing like i feel like the suits have gotten a little out of control at the nfl draft you know, everybody's trying to uh, make a fashion statement. I I just be comfortable with wearing a regular suit, you know. Uh, but so, I mean, some of the stuff is nice on there, but I I might I might rock some of it. But I just make sure I just stay in my own comfort zone. No doubt, no doubt. So 2005, you get into Minnesota. Obviously, we talked about again the transition mm-hmm. going from high school to the SEC college football. Now you're going from college football to you know, the NFL, it's the big show. Um, you, your first season in the NFL, right. 24 catches, 372 yards, did have two touchdowns your first year. Just talk about sort of your mm-hmm. transition. What were some of the biggest transition areas for you going from the uh, from the college ranks to NFL? 
I know for me it was more about just focus, being focused, mentally ready for that, uh, for that being that being that position. I know for me, I, uh, and I talk, talk about this all the time about me and my playing career in the NFL. As far as for me, it, it, I don't think I was mentally there. I, I wasn't mentally ready for that uh, position yet. Uh, and even the more and more I played, the, the more and more it messed with me mentally. So that that's I think that's the biggest thing with anybody when you when you see a guy that's drafted high, and he kind of don't figure it out, or I think it's more mental than anything because you always have that athletic ability. It's just if you can get over that mental hump of being a, you know, for me, coming in trying to replace a guy like Randy Moss, uh, uh, being a top 10 pick, uh, just things like that, to, uh, to be able to come in and do that. I mean, I, I just never really got over that, that hump. But then again, I would never change it. Nothing that happened because all that it was a learning experience for me, and it was a, it was a great, uh, great experience. Absolutely. So again, you're with Minnesota. You're playing with a dynamic quarterback. Here's a name for people: Dante Culpepper, a name we haven't heard in a while, but a guy <laughs> that was as as dynamic as any at his position. Just kind of talk about what mm-hmm. that was like to play with a dude like that. Oh my God! When you look and you see, you know, you see him on TV. I mean, somebody that you watch playing, you growing up watch playing. Uh, but it was it was great. I mean, he was a good leader. Uh, somebody that uh, I looked up to when I got there and was you know kind of mesmerized at being able to be at this level and play with some of the caliber guys that I was was able to play with. Absolutely. So I, I know that Minnesota, I believe in 04, uh, Randy Moss left. Were they bringing you in sort of to be kind of his replacement, to be that guy? Was that the plan for you overall? That was the plan for me overall. Uh, that's one of the things that me and Coach Tice talked about, about me coming in and and you know, it's always it was easy for me to say that I'm not here to replace Randy Moss. I'm just here to do what I'm I'm doing. But it always kind of played in the in the back of my mind as far as of this legend, this uh, this great talent that, for me to come in and, and uh, replace that. But that that was the plan. Absolutely. So I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, Troy. I believe it was your first NFL touchdown week four. You guys are in Atlanta against the Falcons. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys lose the game 30 to 10, but that was your first ever career touchdown in the NFL 16 yard pass from Dante Culpepper. Just kind of talk about, again, I feel like it's probably a flurry of emotions. Again, you talked about sort of what the NFL <laughs> draft, man, just a flurry of emotions getting that first NFL touchdown, and especially getting it in Atlanta, you know, not too far from your hometown, really. Just kind of talk about uh, right. talk about that experience. I mean, you just look at the uh, – that's what you work for. I mean, you you work to be able to, to score touchdowns, and that's what I always wanted to do, you know, be able to, to score touchdowns. I remember it was a slant and go, the corner bit, and I was able, you know, just able to catch on the back of the end zone. And I remember after I caught it, I'm taking the ball to my younger brother, to, uh, my, my youngest of the 10 of us uh, and you know, giving it to him. Absolutely. So what would you say you learned most from that rookie season in the NFL? Because, again, had a solid year, but overall uh, I'm sure you grew as a player. Again, you played with Dante Culpepper, Culpepper. Also, you played with Brett Favre, who is a true legend of the game, Hall of Famer. Um, but you personally as a player, what did you learn most from that 2005 season? I mean, is that uh, – you have to be it's just a, this is a job so you have to treat it that way as far as how you prepare in the off season how you set yourself up to, you know try to be successful that's that's one of the things i learned is more of a job so you get up there you wake up at six o'clock in the morning you don't leave that to five o'clock that afternoon so you have to prepare prepare that way uh so off-season training 
all that stuff. So just just trying to take care of my body and do things things of that sort. Absolutely. So your career again lasted from 2005 to 2009 with both Minnesota and Jacksonville. Um, obviously, 2009 being your last year. What what would you say, sort mm-hmm. of? Um, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I, I don't have it in front of me. But as far as the end of your NFL career, just kind of talk about your career as a whole and what sort of led you deciding to uh, to retire from the NFL. Just me. I know I, I wasn't playing up to par, uh, and I wasn't all the way there ment- mentally. And I feel like it was more of a burden than anything. So I didn't want it to, you know, you know, did it, I didn't want to try to prolong this process that that I'm not playing up to my level of uh, of my ability that I have. So that's what that's what my decision was of, you know, being able to leave, and which it was an easy decision for me. Uh, so once I remember calling my wife and telling my wife, uh, it's time for me to, you know, give this up. And she made it a lot easier when she said, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, you, you can do it. So that's why that's why I decided to leave. No doubt. Did did you ever play with uh, Sidney Rice in Minnesota? Was he there your last year? I no, did. You did. Hey, what was that? I played with Sidney, yeah. I imagine that had to be really, really cool playing with your former college teammate. I mean, it was. I mean, it's, it's, it was, I was excited when they drafted him. I mean, because uh, I, I remember when Sidney was first coming into South Carolina, I had him on a recruiting visit. So it was somebody that, you know, I looked at as a, as a friend and obviously like a, a brother. So, and then we – uh. And it was a great experience for him to come in and be able to, to uh, us play together one more time. Absolutely. Being a South Carolina alum, obviously, again, you left in 04. I'm sure you were able to keep up with what Steve Spurrier was doing and building at South Carolina. How cool mm-hmm. was it to, you know, be able to say you were an alumni, especially when 2000, in 2005 when South Carolina accomplished so many firsts, like a win in Knoxville, beating Florida. Um, you know, how cool was that to be able to just kind of look back and, you know, say I'm an alumni of the University of South Carolina? It's great because I'm a I'm a diehard Gamecock. I uh I live in even though I live in Georgia and all I see is Georgia flags and all this country <laughs> stuff. But it's all it's it's always great to to uh, to talk trash or to cheer on my team. So especially that during that time when you had you know the clownies and the, the uh, DJ Swearings and those guys mm-hmm. and they really built something down there and I love to watch. I mean we can be one in ten or whatever. I'm still gonna watch my Gamecocks. That's how that's how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a ton of South Carolina guys right now, obviously, dominating in the NFL. So, I mean, definitely uh, mm-hmm. definitely good stuff. I actually saw a headline today that I think Texans are looking to trade. Javion Clowney would love to get him with, with Carolina or Atlanta, just closer to home. Yeah. But, uh, but overall, you know, when you look back on your South Carolina career, obviously there were a ton of moments, ton of good memories for you. Um, mm-hmm. Overall at South Carolina, what would you say was your best memory from being a Gamecock? Uh, I think signing. I think to be able to sign and be able to to come and go come to a school like Carolina, I think that that had to be the biggest moment for me. Scratch all the you know the catches and the in the yards. It's just being able to sign that dotted line and have your college paid for, and uh and and being able to play for a program like the University of South Carolina. Absolutely. So Troy, before I let you go, because I'm gonna let you go here, but give us your your uh, your best or funniest Lou Holtz story that you can tell on the airwaves. Oh, I'm just trying to uh, – he caught me. I don't think I, 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 don't think I really have a, a funny story from Lou Holtz. No, no. He seemed like he was just always I, – I don't, I don't think I got any, any funny stories. Well, maybe best memory then from, uh, from your – besides the signing day, just kind of your best memory being oh, in Carolina, whether it's on the field or off the field. 
what the best I, I give you uh me and coach Holtz had like a, a a great relationship so some of the things that he would do when I would catch a deep ball he would come pick me up on the golf cart <laughs> so it take me back to the huddle so that I mean I I I say that as a funny memory but that's the kind of respect that he had for me and uh a great experience Absolutely. Well, yeah, Troy, appreciate you taking the time, man. Obviously, again, you know, I, I think I can definitely say, uh, speak for Gamecock Nation when I say it was an absolute pleasure to watch you in Garnet and Black. And, uh, you know, selfishly would have loved to have seen what 2005 would have been like with you and uh, you and Sidney Rice tearing it up. But obviously, I know, it was a, lot, right? <laughs> a lot of fun to watch you in the NFL. And, uh, you know, uh, glad to hear you're a Gamecock. I'll ask you, do you still follow along? I know you said you follow along now, but have you been on campus, been able to meet Will Muschamp and his staff or? Yes, I met I met Much Champ when he first came in, but I'm I'm at I'm at four games a year, so I'm always nice. Okay, uh, always down at I'm, I'm I'm always there. I go to Georgia every year, uh, every other year when they play Georgia, I'm, I'm at a Clemson game. I come down for homecoming, so I'm, I'm I'm on campus. Nice, very good. And I have to imagine, you know, what's your uh, what are your impressions of Will Muschamp and just kind of the program he's building? I know a lot of people are pretty high on him. We are. I mean, I can't. I'm excited for this season. I'm just ready to to go now uh, to be able to watch. <laughs> some football and and just how they building the, the school up overall you know the, the athletic facilities that they got i mean it's it's great to see our school uh, be, be able to compete uh with some of the bigger programs that's, that's out there absolutely well yeah troy again appreciate you taking the time man and again like like i said uh definitely want to have you back on we can chat some ball again oh no problem anytime absolutely so for troy williamson i'm chris phillips we appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the spurs up show decisions for your company you always look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents books and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.